Thanks for that, Danny. Um, yeah, that one, that was a good one just for Thanksgiving. And I think one of the special things about Thanksgiving, and we even see this in the scripture in the Old Testament before they had a Thanksgiving with pilgrims and all that. Um, every year, these people would harvest and then they would give thanks because of the bounty that came from the ground. And so uh, one of the great things that God has done is shown us just by the seasons. You don't even have to go to church or be a Christian to see that something is happening to bring forth nourishment and to stop and give thanks. Some people don't know to who. But the cool thing is this, is that God was using this thing that happens year after year after year to illustrate what we just said in that last and final verse, is that one day there's going to be a great harvest. It was all a picture of what God is doing through time, where right now he's planting and he's working the field, and one day he's going to come harvest and bring in to his storehouses what he has grown. And that's the day that we're living for. That's the one who is doing all this, and we're looking forward to what he's going to do. So let's pause and give thanks to the Lord, because as we come to his word, that's part of him sowing the seed now for what's going to happen future with this great harvest, and even as that harvest is already beginning to take place by souls coming to the Lord. So let's pray. Father, we pause for a moment and just give you thanks. Something that we should be doing all the time, but Lord, these moments when we have together just to, to, to in silence as a group, Ponder how good you have been to us. Your ways are just. Your ways are good. And so, Lord, we pray that we would trust that that's what you're up to. Not out to get us, not out to be ornery to us, but you've always been good. And we're thankful that you continue to, to work on us and to, to till our hearts like soil and to plant in the seed and to cause it to grow and to, to grow it up into eternal fruit, Lord, that that you might be visible in our life and therefore we would have life. And so right now, as we come to your word, we pray that you would plant that word by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would grow it up as only you can cause us to understand what the scriptures say, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would have us to put our eyes on Jesus. He is everything. Lord, I pray that you would cause my mind, my heart, my lips to speak only what you have ordained for this morning, that you would be pleased. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to Colossians chapter 4. We're almost through with this book. And the book of Colossians is actually a letter that was written back in the first century. It's coming from a guy named Paul, who had at one time hated Jesus and persecuted people who loved Jesus. But Jesus stopped Paul one day and said, you're persecuting me. And he changed Paul's heart so dramatically that Paul no longer persecuted Christians. He tried to go tell people about Jesus to make disciples and then to continue to teach them to grow disciples and to start churches off in these other cities. So this church somehow got started at this town called Colossae. And Paul, even while he's in prison, he's not just walking around in the yard looking for smokes or doing what they do in prison. He's writing letters, trying to encourage people and show them Jesus. He wants people to go towards Jesus. So he's writing to this church in Colossae, this little letter that starts out saying, look at Jesus and how good he has been. Despite all of our failings, despite all of our sin, he put his life on the line and he died in our place. We were guilty and we were going to die eternally. But because of God's love for us, he sacrificed the life of his son in our place. And now he uses that to qualify us for righteousness and to place us into a forever life with him. So Paul is writing to encourage that. 
to the church at Colossae. And then he goes on to say, if that's the reality in your life, if you are a Christian and he's done that work of, of cleansing you and giving you a new heart, then your life should look like this. These aren't things that you do to come to Christ, but once you come to Christ, your life should look like these things because the reality is this. When Christ is in you and you live the way he wants you to, that is your way of thanking him, not only on uh, Thanksgiving holiday, but every day when you live for Jesus and the way you act in your family, the way you go to work, the way you go about um, operating as a Christian in this world, that is your way of thanking God. You're living a life of gratitude. And so that's what he has been saying now at the end of this book. And we've been seeing specifically that he has a real emphasis on getting the word of Jesus out to people. We call this evangelism where people would know about Jesus. And Paul says, and we saw last week, please pray for me that doors would be open for the word that I would be able to go and share clearly as I ought to the good news about Jesus. And this is a guy who's already in prison for it. And he still wants to keep going because Jesus is that important. He's everything. And so now he's going to talk to the believers at Colossae about how they should be sharing the Lord. So let's look together. This is Colossians chapter four. Starting in verse five today, it says this. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So those are the verses we're going to look at today. I'll kind of break down again, phrase by phrase, some of the things that Paul's talking about. So go back with me to the beginning of verse five, when it says this, walk in wisdom, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when the Bible says, hey, Jason, you better be wise. I get a little nervous. Because I'm not good at coming up with wisdom on my own. I'm not good at going and scavenging information and bringing it in. I can't remember quotes very well. I'm just not good. I have a hard time memorizing scripture even. And so when it's put on me to be wise, I just start to get crushed. I'm not very good at just being wise on my own. On the opposite end of the spectrum, I think there's people who are like, well, yeah, I'm just kind of naturally wise. And that's dangerous too. Because when the scripture talks about wisdom, what it's saying is, God has all wisdom. If you want real wisdom, it comes down from heaven. James chapter three says we found out already in Colossians chapters one and two that wisdom is from Christ. And if you get Christ's wisdom, it is then that you mature in Christ. You can't mature in Christ if you're just trying to get the wisdom of the world or somehow it sprang out of you just because you're so wise. That's not real wisdom. Real wisdom comes from Jesus. So when it says be wise or walk in wisdom as you're approaching outsiders. That means you need Jesus to help you. I need Jesus to help me to know what his wisdom is, to know what it is to approach outsiders. We need wisdom in that. It's way too easy to say, well, I know Jesus now and I'm just going to march out and tell people about Jesus and completely do it without wisdom. Because maybe instead of using Christ's wisdom, we just adopt a sales technique of the world. People will not become Christians because we can sell them on Jesus like we would a vacuum cleaner. It doesn't work that way. It's a special, powerful, living message of good news that comes from the wisdom of God and can only enter into the heart of another person by the Holy Spirit working both in the communicator and the person who's listening. And that takes the wisdom of heaven. 
And so we need Jesus to show. And for some of you, it's going to take getting more information from the word, which Colossians already told us that comes from God also filling us with that wisdom and understanding. Jesus has to begin to help you to learn the scriptures. Some of you have already said, Pastor, I, I, mean, I know I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus, but I, I, I don't understand this. On your own, you, you can't. None of us can. But Jesus can help us to understand. You start to plug away. You start to plug away and you get a little bit by little bit by little bit. And you know how I know you can do it? It's because one of the other people who wrote scripture, Peter, and his friend, John, who are both disciples of Jesus, it says that they were unlearned and ed- uneducated men, and yet they ended up becoming disciples of Jesus, and through Jesus giving them wisdom and understanding of the Scriptures, they wrote books. When I look at it, I'm like, that's over my head. How did that happen in these untrained, uneducated fishermen? It was because Jesus worked with them. Let them walk with them day by day and slowly begin to teach them the good news so that when they came to people, they would understand it took time and it's going to take time with you. If you want to come to Bible studies, come to Sunday school, come to church, sit down with me or with somebody else and just read scripture together. We're going to work at it just like you would work at anything else. You want to become a good cook? You got to practice for a while. Maybe maybe have Miss Mavis take you to her house and show you how to make some food or, you know, it just takes time to kind of build up those skills. You know what? The Lord, as he builds his wisdom in you and learning scripture, it's going to take some time. And man, I've just been so super proud of some of you who have who have at some point along the time that I've been here. The Lord has really pressed on you to, to say you need to grow in your wisdom and your understanding. And, and you started somewhere at the beginning. You were kind of like, I don't know. But I got to tell you, I've watched you just from a little ways away and just watched you grow. And it, man, it's just it gets me excited. To know that you're growing in the wisdom of the Lord, because then it says not only are you walking in that wisdom, it's toward outsiders. Now, we talk about outsiders. Let's define what an outsider is for a second, because it's easy for us to say outsiders are just anybody outside these doors. That's not what an outsider is. The word that's used here. It says exo, exo what? Somebody who belongs, somebody who does not belong. So it's not about belonging inside a building. The difference is somebody who does not belong to Christ. It's kind of like in our family, we have people who belong to our family, whether they're inside the house or not, right? And then if somebody gets adopted, they're no longer not belonging to our family. They are now belonging to the family. So when this is talking to outsiders, outsiders are somebody who doesn't belong yet. And that doesn't mean they don't belong because they don't dress the way we do. It doesn't mean they don't belong because they can't sing the songs that we do. Um, And maybe we make it difficult for them because a lot of times we present those as the hoops they need to go through. That oftentimes is the biggest stumbling block is just getting them to try to look like us. But that's not what makes them belong. The only thing that makes somebody belong and makes them go from being an outsider to an insider is belonging to Christ, period. It's just Jesus. And somebody who does not belong to Christ, who's not in Christ, they're an outsider. But that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love them. He's just still working on it. He's still working on them. Because the reality is, who is an outsider? Was it an outsider? At one time, it was all of us. 
whether you came to church every week and sang every song perfectly, maybe even participated in the Christmas play, if you did not belong to Christ because your heart had not been changed, you were an outsider. We were all outsiders. And at some point, Jesus did that miraculous word in your heart when somebody who was walking in wisdom came and told you the gospel and boom, the miracle happened of faith. And you were given God's grace. And you, as we saw in Colossians chapter 1, were no longer a part of the dominion of darkness. You were put into and belonging to the kingdom of light in Jesus Christ. And so an outsider, just like you were, somebody who Jesus loves and is working on bringing to the inside. And you get to walk in wisdom towards people who are outside. Not these walls, but people who don't know Jesus. They don't belong to him yet. What's it feel like to be an outsider? Some of you know. You've been that outcast, whether it's just religiously or whether it's you just didn't dress right. Maybe you didn't play sports well enough. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, people are like, you look funny. I've gotten that several times, you know, and you suddenly feel like an outsider. Think of the ways that Jesus approached outsiders. It was usually people who thought themselves insiders that had a big problem with Jesus. But everybody else said, nope, they're outsiders, the lepers, the prostitutes. The Samaritans. People of other races. Jesus would look at them. And when the lepers cried out in Luke 17, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You know what he did? He had mercy on them. And he showed them in a tangible way. He healed those ten lepers. One of them, a Samaritan, came back to Jesus and dropped on his knees and thanked God and was praising Jesus. He was the only one who returned to give thanks to Jesus because while the rest of them are healed, one was changed from an outsider to an insider. And Jesus says this to the man. Go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. See, they were outsiders and Jesus had no problem attending to them. He loves them. He loved us. And he's desiring to make outsiders insiders belonging to Jesus, period. And so we have that opportunity of addressing that. We'll get to that a little bit later, exactly what that might look like. And it says this, making the best use of time. We got a lot of time on our hands. My friends, if we have time to scroll endlessly through Facebook and ESPN and your favorite hunting site, if we've got all the hours to do that, we have hours to make good use of time to go share Jesus with others. I know I'm guilty of it. Wasting time. You know what the best use of time is? All the time. To all the time be thinking, how can God use my life to share with others? Maybe he will use it on Facebook. Maybe he will use your sports life in those best of times to help share Jesus with somebody. Maybe it's out while you're hunting with your buddy. Maybe he will use those, but those have changed from being activities that are all about you being the center into situations where Jesus is at the center and he wants to give you wisdom to, to share Jesus with somebody in that moment because it's not about hunting and it's not about the sports and it's not about Facebook. It is about Jesus. And there's people who are dying and you know when the worst time is? When they're dead. Make the best use of the time that they're alive to share Jesus with outsiders. It goes on to say this. Let your speech always be gracious, 
Another word there is kind. You know, the interesting thing about grace is. Grace is this thing where you don't wait for somebody else to do something to you first. Grace is that thing that doesn't say, well, because they're an enemy, I'm not going to be gracious. Grace is that thing that looks at somebody and says they need help. I'm just going to give it to them. And you know how we know that's what grace means? Over in Romans chapter 3, I want to read really quickly what it says about this. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Anybody ever heard that verse? Yeah. You know, we love that verse. Because we've memorized it and we go share it with non-believers and say, you've fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short. You've fallen short, buddy. But then it gets to the next great verse. We need to learn the next verse. It says this in verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation for our sins. What it says is this. We did nothing. Jesus did everything. He came down as God become man, died on a cross, giving his life, even though he had done no sin, so that he could approach sinners who have constantly rebelled against God and wanted nothing to do with God. He came to them and said, I have something to give you. My grace. I'm going to give you my grace. Here is my life. I will take your death. That's grace, friends. Does your speech towards outsiders look as gracious as the gift of grace that you've received from Jesus? Is your talk as clean or is it filthy? Does it take opportunity to to see eternity or, or are you only talking about temporary things? Are you waiting for somebody to be kind to you before you tell them the good gift of Jesus? And I tell you, when Jesus was getting flogged and whipped and beaten on the way to being crucified, wasn't it him who said to them, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even when he was dying, Jesus was demonstrating grace as a gift. So this says, Give people graceful talk. You ever thought about that, that your words are something that you get to give to people? They might actually give you an ear to listen, but in the moments that you're talking. You know that your words are a gift. You have the ability by your words and in the kindness of those to lift somebody up to a point where you can tell them about Jesus. How do you in one moment say all of sin and fall short of glory of God? And, and let me show you how awful you are. And then turn that into grace. It's good for people to know that they've sinned. We're just not very good at turning that towards grace all the time. We need to be gracious with the way that we talk with them. Back in Colossians, it says this, that as our speech should always be gracious, that it should be seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. Katie and I, we love to watch those cooking shows. Have you seen those ones? Yeah, you get a chef's on there and they're battling it out over who can cook lobster best. And I never have money to buy lobster, so it's just entertaining to me. Or you, you have them and they're, they're, they're teaching you how to make some, something fancy out of just tuna, tuna fish in the can. I mean, it's amazing what they can do. But I remember we were watching one time and one of our favorite chefs, this woman who's become an iron chef, she's that great. Um, and, and, and this woman, she talked about seasoning, how you season things. She says, you know, a lot of people will cook the meal and they'll start with the recipe at the very beginning. They get to the very end and right before it goes on, they just plop, they add salt. She said, that's that's not seasoning. What that is is just salty food. 
She said the trick to seasoning is this. As you start, you're beginning to season with salt as you go. And then you go a little bit further and then you're seasoning a little more. It was a, it was a little by little. It was a kind of a constant thing all the way. And she said, you'll notice a difference at the end of your meal because you won't have salty food. You'll have seasoned food. Is your speech seasoned or salty? You know how your, your, your speech becomes seasoned? A lot of times by your actions. You haven't been living for the Lord. You don't look like Jesus at all to people. And then suddenly you come and just dump truth on them. And it's just salty. That's kind of like that joke that a lot of college students would play where they'd sit down with their friends. Their friend would go off to the bathroom. While they're at the bathroom, they take the salt. They unscrew the cap so it's not even hardly on and just set it there. Their friend comes back to come and season their food. What happens? salt all over the place that's what happens when we are unkind and ungracious and then suddenly spring it on somebody and say oh but you better know jesus he loves you that's just salty that's not seasoned and so season 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 little bit by little bit you're learning a little bit giving a little bit your life it's all sprinkling in there because you're walking alongside of people in relationships this isn't just a one-time gig maybe you'll get that opportunity with a stranger once in a while but it's the person who's sitting next to you at work it's the person that you're you're farming with it's it's the people at school that you're sitting next to all the time your life is like being seasoned with salt shouldn't be salty should be seasoned so we've got this grace thing going. We've got this season thing going. And then he, he follows it up with this. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Each person. So that kind of indicates to us that we don't have this big billboard that we just run around with everybody and say, here's the message. Here's the message. Here's the message. It says that each person that we come into contact with, the Lord's going to have contextualize and give that good news in a way that's applicable to them to be able to understand, to receive, to touch them in their life. Where I bet if we went around the room and those people who belong to Christ in this room gave their testimony, each of us would have heard the gospel, the same truth in a different place from a different person in a different way, right? Because God knew for you, that's how you needed to hear it. The same way for, for Peter, it was on the shore with, with fishing nets and for for, for Paul, he was on his high horse going to Damascus. Two different people, but God met him each with a certain type of message of the truth. So as you come along, people, it's not just going to be a, the sales pitch that you give to everybody else. The Lord's going to help you maneuver in that conversation. That means that in that moment, you need to be praying, Lord, first of all, do you want me to say something right now? Second of all, what is it that you want me to say about Jesus to this person right now? Third of all, Lord, do you want me to try to close this deal or am I just planting and somebody else is going to be watering and then somebody else, you know, because God's going to make it grow. Guess what? The good thing about this is. There is no pressure on you to convert somebody. You know, sometimes we say, oh, I, I can't go share with somebody because I don't I don't know if I can get to become a Christian. That's not your job. Your job is just to sow seed. Your job is to water and fertilize. And the scripture says. God does the growing. He does, he'll, 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 he'll get them. You just begin to season. Pray for them. Be gracious in the way you're talking. Be concerned. Be aware. Be ready to take on people that, man, you'd think, why would Jesus save that person? 
It's exactly why they need saving. We were in that same place. I want you to think about it like this. I think as we talk about this, we're just thinking about that person on the street corner that we're talking to and thinking, how am I, how am I going to win that? I want you to think of the scenario different. Don't think of it as you're on the street corner. Think of it like this. You're on a cold sea. There's no land and no lights for miles and miles and miles. There's no hope of any other rescue anybody coming. And, and by some grace of God, while you were swimming in that frigid, cold water with no life preserver, nothing. Along came a lifeboat. And someone in that lifeboat saying, do you need help? Do you need saved? And at some point you said, yeah. And you you belong to Jesus. You you prayed for faith and you were scooped up and you were placed into the lifeboat. And so you get in and pretend this this big stage here is a lifeboat and you get into the lifeboat and you're sitting there. You're like, well, when's the next covered dish meal? I guess I'll just wait this out. Let me take a nap for a while. Get sleepy. All the while, there's people right outside the boat. So cold, some of them don't even know that they're drowning. They've lost feeling and they're numb to how dire the situation is. They're just kind of floating there. Others are scrambling. They, they're frantic. And you have a decision to make in that lifeboat. The opportunity to send a gracious word out to say, hey, can I help you? In that moment when it's life and death, when if you if you leave that on the table, there's somebody who's just going to sit out there and die. And you in a place of having some wisdom, knowing Jesus and belonging can say to somebody who's literally outside dying and drowning. You got to know some good news. There is life in this boat. There's life in Jesus. Let me tell you about it. Let me let me tell you how he grabbed me out of the frigid waters and brought me into his life. Let me tell you how my life was a wreck and I was in despair. I wanted to kill myself or whatever your situation was. Let me tell you how I got into this boat, because those are words of grace. I want to give my testimony to you. I want to show you how much Jesus loves you, because we were all dead and he came in one lifeboat to get us. That's the picture I want you to have. Not just the street corner. It's not a street corner. It is a life-saving mission that he has put us on. And friends, if this church refuses to be a life-saving boat pulling people in, God is going to say, then I will disperse your boat. I will just sink it. You know how I know that? Because that's what he does to churches. I have the proof to back it up. There's a church that I've read recently called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. This man went to 14 churches that were dying or dead. And he looked at seven different metrics, signs that these churches would die. You know what one of the number one signs was? People forgot to go share about Jesus. Instead of the Great Commission, he called it the Great Omission. And he said, you know, we could blame it on just forgetting to go do it. And people want to go back to the great heydays of their church, but they forgot there's a big difference between what was going on in the heydays and what's going on now. They're no longer sharing about Jesus. In fact, all the arguing in the church has become 
this is the way we want our church, and if people want to come, they're going to have to do it the way we do it. He said that's one of the greatest signs that your church is going to die. And if it hasn't died yet, it's on the way. I, my friends, don't want to be a part of a dying. I don't want to be on the boat that's going down. Think of how God saved you. Think of, think of that emotion that came up with you when you knew that the Lord of the universe who could crush you in his hand said, no, instead of that, I had my son crushed. Here's my hand to come save you. You get that opportunity. I get that opportunity. Together, we are going to have that opportunity as Unity Church to go and share Jesus, whether it's through the Christmas play, whether it's sharing Thanksgiving meal with somebody. Maybe it's somebody today at lunch. Maybe it's your son or daughter. You get to reach your hand outside the boat and say, hey, can I tell you where a good place to be is in Jesus? And it's this great mixture of grace and truth. If we go at people and we just just have grace, which the, we just say love, 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 love. If we just go at people with love, you know what we do? We just kind of enable them towards sin. You don't no, don't worry about it. If you do grace, it just enables. If you go the opposite way, we're like, let me just go cram truth. I'm just truth, 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 truth. Here's, here's, here's facts. What will become is just very legalistic. You better get it right. So instead of all grace and enabling, instead of all truth and having something that people can't do in the legalist system, Jesus says he was full of grace and truth. You get to take the good word of the gospel, this truth, and in love and kindness and well-seasoned speech that's gracious, you get to go give it to people. I am thrilled that some of you right now are being stirred up. Some of you maybe have people that are already on your mind. And you realize suddenly this is this is a life-saving mission. This is. This is my opportunity through my job, through what I'm saying online, the way I'm treating people at school. The way I treat my spouse and other people are then watching it. These are opportunities I have to help share Jesus, to actually save people out of death and bring them into eternal life by something I do. Yeah, that's what you get to do. Are there times of kind of being fearful and ashamed? Yes, let's pray that the Lord takes those away rather we would understand the urgency of the time make the best use of time it said why because those people out there drowning it's only amount of time before they're drowned and it's become past tense what a great i'm so excited i've watched the lord just continue to drop in evangelism unplanned by me whether it's a revival a Wednesday night Bible study, a Bible diggers, sermons. It has just been constant lately. And that was nothing I planned. I think the Lord has plans for this church to go share about Jesus. Not to get people to try to just come inside these doors, but belong to Jesus. And people are going to filter in and we're not going to say to them, you better sing it this way or you're out of here. Say, hey, come and we want to we want to share Jesus with you and, and, and come be a part of this crazy bunch of people that we got inside this boat. Come and share a covered dish meal or come to Miss Virginia's birthday party. We're going to use every opportunity and every vantage point we have in this church. To share Jesus. 
It's all about him. It's not about our activities and how much we got in our bulletin. It's just Jesus. You thinking about those people in your life that are just outside that boat? Let's pray our guts out for them starting right now. And let's pray our guts out for one another because as much as you're feeling it right now, like, how am I going to do that? Guess what? The person next to you is thinking the same thing. When you get together for your Sunday school prayer time, pray for the people who need saved and pray for one another that you would be bold to share the gospel. Let's do that again now. Let's make the forefront of our prayers, the priority of our prayers, the lost. Sometimes people will refer to it in here as the sin sick. People need Jesus. There's only so much time left. Let's make the best use of time, being gracious with our speech, seasoning with salt. I can't wait till Jesus comes back and there's this great harvest that comes. And guess who's going to be there? Some who right now are outsiders, but you're going to go out and tell them. I'm, I'm excited for that day. So let's close in a word of prayer and, and let's have some... Uh, music playing Sue and if the Lord's been moving you and we don't need a song to move you we don't need anything like that but we're going to sing together this is just our opportunity to open it up to the Lord and say Lord you've been you've been pressing me on this you've been dealing with me week after week and I would you help me to go share Jesus Lord help me to use my art to share Jesus let me do you know, the way I the way I order something at the restaurant to be a way to share Jesus let me be the way that I Operate through the Christmas season, be about Jesus, and just everything that we have be an opportunity for us to share Jesus with those who are dying outside the boat. So as we come to prayer this morning, as we're singing, you're welcome to come. Maybe you just need to ask forgiveness for how you've been stale. You've been sitting in the boat completely lazy. You need to repent of that. Maybe there's sin in your life that's been getting in the way of even sharing because you'd love to share, but man, all those people have seen those things that you've done. Maybe you need to repent of that sin and go change your life. Maybe there's somebody that you've looked at. You've said, there's no way God would ever say them. Or maybe they just seem too scary to you. And you need to bring that opportunity, that person to Jesus. And say, Lord, just show me the way. I know that you love that person. But end in prayer today saying, we are, we are going to go on a life-saving mission. Rescuing people into Jesus. Sharing the good news of the gospel. So this morning, if you need to pray some of those things, you're welcome to pray right here and now. Don't wait till later. It won't get done. Do it right now. You're welcome to come and pray in the front. You can come pray on this lifeboat. I don't care if it, people are scattered around here sitting in the boat. Come and pray that Jesus would have us go and share our faith. The good gift that we've been given in Jesus Christ.